Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, isn't it? See, little known fact, that is certainly the case for preachers all around the world. You may not have known this. But Christmas songs in worship take their shorter than normal worship songs. Hence, more time to preach. Christmas is the greatest time of the year. So it's just it's awesome. So if I've not met you, uh, my name's Steve. We're delighted to have you. And uh, we are in a study of the book of Revelation. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 11 today. So if you've got your Bibles, want to turn there with us, that would be great. A couple of things, because I, I know that uh, when Sean, I'm just going to repeat a lot of what Sean said, but I, I know how this works. People are coming in when he's talking, or sometimes it's time to read the bulletin or check to see what that last text was about. I want to make sure you get this. Next weekend, our services are, are Christmas Eve services. So they're going to be different. We're not going to be in the book of Revelation. We are going to be doing our Christmas Eve thing. They are family services. So that means there will be no nursery. There will be no preschool. There will be no elementary. That means it's going to be loud in here. It also means it's going to be very crowded in here. Uh, would encourage you, if you and your family, uh, it's a great service, by the way, to invite uh, your unchurched family and, and friends and neighbors to come with you with. We're going to tell the story of Christmas. We're using one of my favorite pictures scripturally. It's that Jesus is the light of the world and how he brings light to darkness. And uh, so we invite them, but would remind you that uh, there is a 5 o'clock service on Saturday night which will be our Christmas Eve service. Uh, there is also one on Sunday afternoon. So if you well, wanted to find an alternate service there too, that would be great. Then, two weeks from today, it is our last Sunday of the year. We don't have a lot of traditions here at Desert Springs, but this one we do. The last weekend of the year, we do two services, 9.30 and 11, and they're praise services. So there's not going to be any preaching, which that's to praise for, right? There you go. Uh, we're going to have communion, but we're also going to give you opportunities to just share uh, blessings in your life this week. Where have you seen God at work? And so it's a very interactive and give you that opportunity to share. So that is then on the, the 31st. And then we're going to be back at it on January 6th and 7th. But that is, again, going to be a little unique. But it's very important that you're here because that is our first Sunday of the year. And again, traditionally, and we're going to do it this year, that is my state of the church. So, you know, as I have been praying and as our elders have been praying, looking ahead to 2024, looking at, you know, now having this new tool to be able to use, uh, if and when to get it finished. Uh, what do we believe God's calling us to do? Then looking on beyond that, uh, looking at the, the, some wonderful things. I think God's opening up. So whatever you do, don't miss the 6th and the 7th. So just write it down. Don't be sick that Sunday, right? You need to be here. And then the 13th and 14th, 
of January. We're back into our study book of Revelation, starting with chapter 12, but we're going to do a little twist on the title because this is, being, we've called it the beginning of the end. How does God bring all of this to a close? But starting in chapter 12, we're going to call it the end of the beginning because literally from creation until this point in the book of Revelation, this is all the beginning of eternity. And how does that eternity look? The new heavens, the new earth, and we're going to get into all that as we finish up the book of Revelation. So, but this morning we are in Revelation chapter 11. If you've been with us, you know that uh, we have been since chapter 10, verse 1, in a little parentheses, uh, in the book of Revelation, we were looking at the trumpet judgments. We had the six of them, and then there's been this little parentheses, and now he goes back for a few verses to kind of move the story along, uh, the, the linear part, that the seventh angel is going to sound, uh, and then chapter 12, we're actually going to get right back to the, the parentheses again. So, if you'll follow along as I read, verse 14. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Those words sound familiar? And he shall reign. That's where it comes from. Verse 16. And the 24 elders who sit on their throne before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken great, your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were in, enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged. And the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple. And there were flashes of lightning, and sounds, and peals of thunder, and an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. So... We've been in this parentheses. He's been giving us some ideas of some other things that are going on. Primarily, in the midst of all of the judgments, that God is still showing mercy because he has sent out two witnesses to proclaim his truth. And now, as he walks us back to the seventh judgment, the seventh trumpet, he doesn't actually tell us what it is, right? He kind of picked that up. It sounds... And then what happens, right? Well, we're going to go into another parenthesis. We'll save that for January. But what he reminds us of is something that's really important. What he reminds us of is that what this is all about is this is about the coming kingdom of Jesus. You see, here's one of the things. In the book of Revelation, you can get so caught up in these seal judgments and trumpet judgments and demonic locusts and armies and, and, and war being taken and half of the world's population being killed. 
two witnesses and 144,000 Jewish preachers. And, and, and then we're going to get to the battle of Armageddon and how do they get there and the king from the north and back in Daniel. And, and you can get so caught up in this that you lose sight. What is this all about? The book of Revelation is about the revelation of Jesus, the Messiah. He is coming back, and he is going to set up his kingdom. That's what this is about. And he takes us to this point, and he reminds us, the seventh angel sounded, and the kingdom of this world. By the way, notice not plural, kingdoms, but singular, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever. This is the fulfillment of so many prophecies through Scripture. And if you've not been with us, you just have to understand that throughout all of the Old Testament and then into the New Testament, we have been told over and over and over the Messiah is going to come. He is going to set up his kingdom. It's going to be a glorious time. In fact, let me take you back to a few of them. A passage that I actually think that John has in mind here in this passage is Psalm chapter 2. He kind of quotes it there in verse 18. The nations were enraged. Uh, That actually comes from Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2 is a prophetic psalm looking ahead to the kingdom of the Messiah. I I, I paraphrased it a little bit here from verses 6 to 9. But it says this, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Ask of me and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. This is the promise to the Messiah that he would rule and that he would reign. In the book of Micah, chapter 4 and this actually just parallels almost exactly Isaiah chapter 2 I, I just tried to figure out which one to use I thought I'll go with the Micah one but it says the same thing in Isaiah it says this and it will come about in the last days that's what we're talking about the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and it will be raised above the hills and the peoples will stream to it many nations will come and say come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord this is the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us about his ways and that we may walk in his paths for from Zion will go forth the law even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem and he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations they will hammer their swords into plowshares their spears into pruning hooks nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they train for war has that happened yet the answer is no but it's going to happen at the revelation of Jesus Christ he is going to establish his kingdom The kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ has come. That's what the book of Revelation is about. Zechariah puts it like this, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. And the day that the Lord will be the only one and his name the only one and people will live in it and there will no longer be any curse for Jerusalem will dwell in security. All of the prophets pointed to this moment in time that John is writing about here in the book of Revelation. But it's not, it's not just Old Testament. I was thinking about this, Christmas time, right? The Christmas story is told in Matthew, uh, 
kind of from Joseph's perspective, a little shorter, by the way, if you want to read the shorter Christmas story on uh, Christmas morning. Or there's the longer version when he talks to Mary in, in the book of Luke. The angel who speaks to Mary says this, Behold, you shall conceive in your womb, bear a son. You shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now, again, think about this. You shall conceive and bear a son. Did that happen? Yes. You're going to call his name Jesus. Did that happen? Yes. He will be called Son of the Most High. Did we call Jesus the Son of God? Yes. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Has that happened yet? No. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Is he reigning there today? No. And his kingdom will have no end. See, part of this has been fulfilled. Part of it is still to be fulfilled. That's what the book of Revelation is about. So chronologically, where we are in the book of Revelation, we're in the tribulation, and, and we're, we're towards the end. And in case you've not been with us, maybe I could just map it out. There are four major events in the book of Revelation. There's the tribulation. The tribulation is a seven-year period where God is going to judge the earth and going to prepare it for the, for the Messiah to come. At the end of the tribulation, what ends the tribulation is the second coming of Jesus. And when he comes back, he comes back and he comes back to set up his kingdom. We call it the millennial kingdom. It's for a thousand years. That's where they're going to take their instruments of war and make them instruments of peace. The lion will lay down with the lamb. There will be no more. All of that happens during that time. But you say, well, it said that he will reign forever, but you're calling it a thousand years. Well, yes, because what we learn in chapter 20 is that for, after a thousand years, there will be one more rebellion. By the way, they don't dethrone Jesus. It's just a rebellion. He continues to reign forever. But that finally is put down. Revelation chapter 20. We have the great white throne judgment, and then we enter into eternity, and he will reign forever and ever where we are now in the book of revelation not where we are today personally but where we are in our study of the book of revelation here in chapter 11 we are in the the tribulation we have looked at the judgment so so far there's been the first seven judgments which are called the seven seal judgments if you remember the seventh seal was not one more judgment but it was a series of seven more called the trumpet judgments we've looked at six of them if you remember the fifth sixth and seventh trumpet judgments were called the three woes that's why in verse 14 it says the second woe is past we've looked at that the third woe the seventh trumpet judgment is now going to be played it is going to be pulled out and what we're going to see is is that it's actually a series of very intense judgment called the bold judgments but the picture here is of a woman who's in labor so the contractions start painful very uncomfortable but as she gets closer to actual delivery they get more intense and they get closer together and so when you think that of the 19 judgments that are coming we're 13 into them you have to understand we are into the last days literally probably the last months 
of this seven year period before Jesus is going to return and that's what he's talking about here he says the seventh angel sounded and there was that loud voice in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ now I, I'm not if you've been here I say this all the time I am not a, a student of Greek I'm not a Greek scholar and I don't play one on the weekends but it is very interesting that the verb there has become is in the proleptic aorist tense which means it's still future yet it is so certain it is though it has already taken place he has begun to reign this is what has happened. The, the kingdom has come. It's begun. It's started. And so the reason this is so important and the reason why I'm so excited about it is because today the kingdom doesn't belong to Jesus. Now, I know some people, well, Jesus is Lord, you know, and all that. Well, no, you know Jesus told us three times that the devil... Is the, is the God of this world? He's the ruler of this age? Uh, he calls him the prince, the power, the heir. That's what Paul calls him. Uh, currently, this world is not, is not managed by Jesus, right? It's pretty apparent. Have you paid any attention to the news this week? I mean, yuck. Yuck. In this world between the war and wars, I should say plural, and murders and, and, and people being abused and taken advantage of to degenerate. I mean, it, it's just this world is currently the kingdom of the enemy. It was given to man. Man ceded it to Satan. And what's happening during this tribulation is preparing the world for now it to be taken back by man, but not any man, the perfect God-man, Jesus. And he is going to rule and reign. And that's the heart of this. The seventh angel sounded, and they say the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And notice he will reign forever and ever. It's eternal. He's never going to be dethroned. There's never going to be a coup. There's never going to be anything that's going to drive him out of this perfect world. And what we see in this passage is that how he does this is by his great power and his great justice. Notice verse, um, verse 17. We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, because you are and you were, because you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Um, I was thinking about something this week. So, <laughs> and I was thinking about how I was laying in bed. So you, you gotta know, I'm probably a weird guy to live with right but I, i'm laying in bed i was thinking about this passage and i thought have you ever wondered why so many people at the time of jesus birth missed that the messiah had come i mean they had the prophecies right he's going to be born in bethlehem oh by the way he's born in bethlehem right there's there's even a star in the sky 
They had the prophecies of Isaiah that when Messiah comes, what is he going to do? Well, he's going to make the lame to walk. Guess what Jesus did? He's going to make the blind to see. Guess what Jesus did? Right? He's going to raise the dead. Guess what Jesus did? And they're, they're oblivious to it. And the question, you, you know, to me is, why did they miss it? Well, I think the reason they missed it is because in their mind, as they read the Old Testament Scripture, and even though those were there, what they were thinking was great power. They were thinking rule and reign. They were thinking taking the lead pipe in and breaking them like, like the, the, you know, just clay pots. I mean, you're going to rule and reign with a rod of iron. Jesus didn't come that way that time. He came meek, mild, little baby, gentle, full of grace, full of truth, humble. And they missed it. I think one of the reasons why people today, and even some Christians, miss what this world is building to it's because what they think of is the meek mild Jesus the one who doesn't lash back out the one who turns the other cheek and they don't understand yes he, he is all that but this time when he comes he comes in great power he comes in great Wrath. By the way, did you see? That's not my word. That's, that's John's word. Verse 18, the nations were enraged and your wrath came. Somehow we, we miss the idea and the understanding that Jesus is coming in great power. And, and you know, this is one of the problems that... Um, I have with we, we talked early on there's different ways there's different views uh, we would hold to a premillennial view that Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom that's what we think a literal interpretation the book of Revelation points to there are other Christians though that hold to what we call a postmillennial right so we as Christians are the ones who establish the kingdom we we get everybody saved and everybody comes along and it's kind of a utopian at the end then is when Jesus returns and not only do I not think the book of Revelation says that, but Scripture all throughout says, no, that when Jesus returns, he comes with great power. And think about this. In the book of Revelation, you've got the seven seals, you've got the seven trumpets, you're going to have the seven bowls, you're going to have the battle of Armageddon. Think of how the Old Testament put it. He says, you shall break them with a rod of iron, you shall shatter them like earthenware. Now, it's easy to read that, but think about that. Can you imagine how heavy a rod of iron would be? And can you imagine the destruction if you go into a pottery house and you start swinging that thing indiscriminately? Sounds like a lot of fun, actually. But <laughs> it's not with precision. Jesus comes with great power. Zechariah put it like this the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle Jesus has begun to rule and war reign now this is what he says and again I think he's tying back to Psalm 2 and the nations were enraged 
the kingdoms of the world are, are, are obviously not wanting to accept that, right? They, they want everything but God. In fact, as this plays out in Revelation chapter 19, it's, it, what we see at the end of this tribulation, the armies of the world coming to fight against each other. But as Jesus begins to return, they, they turn their attention to fight against him. Which you've heard, you know, bringing a knife to a gunfight doesn't work really well. Uh, but that's going to be an overstatement. I mean, this is going to be like bringing a broken slingshot to a nuclear war. I mean, there, there's just really no battle. Because the word comes forth from Jesus and his enemies are destroyed. Jesus comes with great power. And the nations even, we've seen it in the midst of all of this where they could repent. They hardened their heart. They've even asked the mountains to fall on them instead of repenting. Psalm 2 put it like this. Why are the nations in an uproar or rage and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of this earth take their stand. Their rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And that's the way it has always been. That's the way it is today. And that is the way it is going to be on this day. But Jesus, Jesus is going to come in great wrath. In fact, I love the way it puts this. The nations were enraged. <laughs> oh, and your wrath came, and it was over, right? It, it's just, Jesus is going to rule and reign. That's what the book of Revelation is about. That's what he's calling us back to. And notice what happens. So, the kingdom of the world, verse 15, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The 24 elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The, the establishment of the kingdom of God by these 24 elders who sit before the very, they fall down and they begin to worship. I mean, this is the culmination of the ages. The brokenness of the world, the brokenness of sin, the, the, the rebellion towards God since the very time in, in the garden to the flood to Sodom and Gomorrah to our present day, right? It is finally all going to be crushed and they be, fall down and they, they begin to worship. And they worship God because of his power, right? You are the Lord God, the Almighty. You have come in great power. You have asserted yourself over the rebellion of man. But they also worship him for his eternality. They said, you are the one who are and who were. Does that sound familiar? Remember that phrase has been used a number of times in the book of Revelation. It's who are, who were. There's a third part. You remember that one? And who is to come. They left that out. Why? Because this is what he's doing. He's coming. Right? We don't have to look ahead who are, who were, and who is to come. It's just simply the eternal God is now coming. And he has established his kingdom. And they fall down and they worship. And let me ask you a question. 
And I, I don't want you to answer out loud because I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot. But let's be, be honest in your heart. How do you, does that truth play in your heart today? I'm ready. Well, I'm ready too. There you go. But you see, I'm, I'm concerned that for many it's, oh, that's nice. Or, hey, Steve's got two points. He's going to get us out of early today. Yeah, he is. Or is it even, hmm, boy, that's the battle of Armageddon there. I wonder how that's going to play out. Folks, his point is this. And I think the point of the text is, listen, this is what all of history has pointed towards. This is what our heart yearns for in that day that Jesus is going to come back. And what we should be reminded of as we study this passage is, folk, we chose the winning team. We win. Jesus is coming back. He's establishing his kingdom. And there's not one person, there's not one political party, there's not one country, there is not one dictator who is going to get in the way of him establishing his kingdom here on earth. And today, when we go through and we look at the junk that's going on in our world and the junk that's going on in our country and we want to give up or we want to think, man, somehow it looks like Satan's going to win. This ought to give us confidence and encouragement. Press on. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. But there's a third reason here that they, they praise God, and it's in verse 18. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. There's another reason they praise him, and that is, is that when Jesus comes back, finally, now we will have justice. Now we will have and part of that justice and part of that equity is that for those of us who have followed Jesus, who have put our faith and trust in him, there's the promise of reward, right? So, so in this life when it's hard and in this life when sometimes for some of our brothers and sisters it's led to stand for Jesus means martyrdom. For others it's meant to be abused and to to suffer persecution and for others it's meant to put what they would want on hold to follow Jesus that this is that time for, for reward now let's be honest a lot of Christians push back with the idea of rewards I've, I've even heard some talk to me and you know they were taught against the idea of reward. That somehow, uh, you know, they, they, as a child, well, if you, you're, you're living for reward, then you're living for the wrong thing. It's the wrong motivation. And I just want to tell you, if that's your position, you don't have a correct biblical view. It is Jesus who over and over and over told us to follow him for the promise of reward. Can I take you back to the Sermon on the Mount? And he's talking about the Pharisees and how they, they fast and pray. 
but they do it so people know they're fasting and they don't wash their face and they, they, they walk around like they're all hurting so the people will give them praise. He says, you don't do that. You wash your face. You, you don't let anybody know. But as you fast and pray, your Father who knows all things in secret will reward you. And when they gave money, they, they, they played the trumpets and let everybody look, hey, how much money I'm giving. He said, no, 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 don't let your left hand even know what your right hand is doing. But you give, you give in secret. And your Father who knows in secret will reward you. In Matthew chapter 25, which is, by the way, I think he's talking specifically about the judgment at the end day that we're talking about here. He tells a story about the landowner who goes away and puts his servants... The, the responsibility of carrying on and he comes back and what he says is you have been faithful well done good and faithful servant you were faithful in a few things I'm going to put you over 10 cities there is a promise of reward Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 he says for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Folks, he's not talking to unsaved people there. He's talking to the children of God. There is a promise of reward if we faithfully follow Jesus. We looked at this in the book of Hebrews because it runs all throughout Hebrews. But in Hebrews 10, therefore, don't throw away your confidence. You know, sometimes it looks like the enemy's winning and, and those believers, if you remember, were shrinking back. No, don't throw away your confidence because it comes with great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Oh, by the way, he finishes this whole book of Revelation with a few words to us. And his words are this, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to render every man according to what he has done. But we, we, I think we have a really messed up view of this. So if you've not tracked anything with me today, track this. Listen to this. This is, this is the one thing I want you to get. If you know Jesus, your Savior, you are in full-time service. Can I say that again? You know Jesus as your Savior. You are in full-time service of the King of Kings. Now, that doesn't mean that you make your vocation, right? Vocational service is completely different. Some of us are blessed. We get to serve Jesus and we're able to support our family through it. But most aren't. But that doesn't, there's no, there's no difference there. Because every single child of God is in full-time service. We're to live Jesus. We're here to be ambassadors, right? To call people to reconciliation with God. Your life counts just as much in the kingdom of God as mine does. In fact, did you notice the phraseology he used here? I like this. There in verse 18. Your bondservants, the prophets, probably thinking Old Testament there. The saints and those who fear your name, probably thinking you. And I love this. The small and the great. You know, sometimes it's really easy to get our eyes on, quote-unquote, the big shots of Christianity. You know, Billy Graham and the Apostle Paul or some pastor someplace. Listen, I don't know where you put yourself on that spectrum. I don't think that, that God has that kind of a spectrum. But wherever you put yourself, 
you are full-time servant of Jesus. You're in full-time service. And so, so whether it's, I mean, if it's to be a preacher, then be a preacher. Right? You're in full-time service. But if it's to dig ditches, then dig ditches as a full-time servant of Jesus. And if you're, if you work in a business, that you work in it as a full-time servant of Jesus. And if you're a stay-at-home mom, that you stay at home and you, you shepherd and you mom those kids as a full-time servant of Jesus. And oh, by the way, if you're retired, you're not off the clock with Jesus because you're still in full-time service for Jesus. And the cool thing is, is that on that day, on that day for those who have faithfully followed after him, and when I say that, folks, here's the thing. None of us are perfect in this. None of us do this perfectly. He is a God of great grace and mercy, and he understands. But when we faithfully follow after Jesus, that comes with great reward. Reward is available for everyone who knows him. None of us can redo yesterday, but every one of us has today to live our life for Jesus. But there's one other group here he mentions, and I want to finish with this. And to destroy those who destroy the earth. Ooh. Now, we have a tendency to read things from our culture. So can I just tell you, this has nothing to do with ecology here. So he's not talking to the tree huggers or the non-tree huggers or anything like that or the pro-straw against straw that's not the destroyers of the earth he's talking about what destroyed the earth sin and here's the reality we're all sinners right Jesus came to save us from our sin it's what he offers to everyone is an absolutely free gift my dad used to put it like this when you think about rewards, right? So he saves us for nothing, and then he pays us for everything we do for him, right? That's a pretty good deal. It's grace. Amen. But for those who will not turn to Jesus for their sin, they're still in their sin, and what awaits them is destruction. It's the end of chapter 20, the great lake of fire. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I understand. Meek, mild, loves you. Grace, he died for you. But on that day, there's judgment. And it is without grace. And it is without mercy. And it is death to those who have not come to know him. That's why the Bible says that today, today is the day of salvation. Let's pray.